to Seeking Refuge, a podcast sharing the human stories of refugees. Today we're doing an episode that's a little bit different. Three of our team members, Isha, Anusha, and Emily, will be discussing issues of colorism and racism within refugeeism. Refugeeism, by the way, is a word that refers to the condition of being a refugee. They talk about institutional and interpersonal racism as these things affect refugees. This is a topic that has become particularly salient with recent narratives, particularly in the U.S. and Europe around Ukrainian refugees. Your hosts for today are Anusha Ghosh, Isha Hegde, and Emily Jensen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Seeking Refuge. Uh, Today, we'll be talking about racism and refugeeism. My name is Anusha, and I am here with Emily and Isha. We'll essentially be defining a few definitions of racism, as well as playing a few examples of racism against refugees. So before we start, uh, you know, engaging in our conversation about uh, racism and refugeeism, I'll be defining the three main levels of racism. The first level is internalized racism. That includes self-stereotyping, incorporation of racist attitudes, stereotypes, prejudice or discrimination, beliefs or ideologies into one's worldview. And then we have interpersonal racism, which is defined as racially motivated interactions between individuals. It covers all interactions or behavior between individuals that are racist or have racist content and covers a range of types of racist incidents from microaggressions to racist name calling and racial bullying and harassment to discrimination and racist hate crimes. Then we have institutionalized racism, which is what we're going to be for the most part discussing in this episode because it's a level of racism that's accessible and publicly distributed on the internet. Institutionalized racism is defined as social and cultural forces, institutions, ideologies, and processes that interact to create and reinforce inequalities between ethnic groups. It's important to note that the culture of an institution and the unconscious bias of the people who make up that institution constitute racist attitudes and behaviors that are dangerous. And so all of these definitions, uh, they came from the Cambridge University Press that was published on June 17, 2021. And obviously all of these definitions are malleable, but these were the best definitions that I found on the internet that were, that were encompassing of all the uh, three levels of racism. So today, like I said, we're going to be talking a lot about um, institutionalized racism. I'm going to play like a few clips, mostly about, mostly from like media reporters that are publicly saying certain comments about refugees that is distributed to the public. So I'll be playing this first clip first. The following audio clip is from anchorman Peter Dobby about the Ukrainian crisis. Pictures of some of the refugees trying to get on trains or trying to get out of Ukraine. And, and what's compelling is just looking at them the way they're dressed. These are prosperous, I'm not to use the expression, these are prosperous middle class people. These are not obviously refugees trying to get away from areas in the Middle East that are still in a big state of war. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. What are y'all's thoughts on this 
like um, what he said, what it means, how it can result in discrimination against refugees based on their race, ethnicity, and such. I guess when I was watching that, I was thinking back to discussions I've had recently about how people view refugees and what they think of when they think of the word refugee. And it's a very othering word, and that's how a lot of people view refugees as the other. And so people put in a box what the other is of mm-hmm. what from what they see of yeah. the stereotype of mm-hmm. a Middle Eastern refugee. Yeah. To some extent, you can only understand things through what you've seen, mm-hmm. but it is like startling almost <laughs> to see someone limit their understanding so much by race and by like mm-hmm. how they view them. I thought it was very interesting how he equated Ukrainian, obviously mm-hmm. European, ethnically European refugees to automatically like being middle class and educated. And then he said these aren't yeah. like the Middle Eastern refugees that we see. And I think that was very hinging on the fact that this anchor automatically deemed like Middle Eastern and mm-hmm. people who weren't ethnically European and were um, migrants or refugees as being less educated, yeah. uh, not in the middle class, you know, like automatically a lower socioeconomic status mm-hmm. and that them coming to a country would automatically bring that country's economy down, yeah. which is incredibly, like, that's the entire assumption I think his statement is mm-hmm. based off of. and. I think just through doing the podcast and listening to our episodes and editing them and interviewing people, mm-hmm. you just see how much people from all parts of the world have to bring, how educated mm-hmm. they are, how you know, how much passion they have mm-hmm. for things that's just sometimes unfortunately mm-hmm. left undiscovered because of the turmoil mm-hmm. that they've had to face. And I mm-hmm. think that was an incredibly harsh assumption and judgment mm-hmm. that he yeah. made that was very clear in his yeah. statements. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was, when you were saying that, Aisha, I was reminded of something our President Aiden often likes to point out is that, like, there's a lot of, like, assumptions that refugees will be bad for the economy, will mm-hmm. only pull from it. Yeah. But the reality is that they give a lot to mm-hmm. economies of their host countries. And so I thought that, like, the fact that what he's saying or is insinuating is, like, in fact, the opposite of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, so, yeah, no, when I first saw this clip, it was on Twitter, um, and it was obviously comments about the Ukrainian crisis that's happening right now. I just, I I was kind of startled by how, I feel like one of the only reasons why he mentioned that they were middle class, that they were um, prosperous, uh, was to evoke an emotional response from the audience, as if you can only um, really feel like sympathy for someone who is like you, who is middle class, who's prosperous. But, you know, it's important to note that it, regardless of a refugee's, you know, race, uh, socioeconomic class, regardless of any of that, they deserve refuge. That's what my initial thought was, like the fact that he thought the only way that he could get the audience to listen was to mention those details. I would assume that he's not just... <laughs> saying that for the audience's yeah. sake, he's saying it for his own. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that is his expectation mm-hmm. and so he assumes that that's what the audience yeah. also needs to mm-hmm. relate to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good point. Okay, so that was the first clip. Here's another one. <laughs> 
I love that everyone like calls everyone out on Twitter now. (laughs) The following audio clip is from reporter Degada from CBS News. Uh, The calculus entirely. Uh, Tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. So it's partly human nature, but they are not in denial. Now we Yeah. You said, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first off, this anchor, like, automatically said, you know, like unwittingly stated his opinion going off, you know, this isn't Iraq or Afghanistan, this is a place, a civilized place, you know, where you wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect this to happen. And I think that really um, bottles down to what our society as a whole views, like Mm -hmm. Europeans, white people, usually as being more civilized than people of color. And I think that's an incredibly Mm -hmm. huge uh, assumption underlying like thought of his that just came to light through that obviously um, also I feel like it's another instance of like being in direct contradiction of reality with saying that there's not been any conflict there for decades when if you actually look there has been yeah. conflict there he's just ignoring what doesn't fit his narrative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, like, he, he has to, the fact that they have to um, note that, um, you know, the people who are suffering in the Ukrainian crisis, they have to note that they're civilized in order for the world to care. That, that kind of, like, you know, while they're, like, you know, uplifting this crisis, as much as it deserves to be uplifted because, you know, the people of Ukraine are going through such a crisis right now, they're kind of, they're kind of, like, you know, as they're like uplifting um, the Ukrainian crisis, they're kind of like downplaying other crises. Mm-hmm. Like when you say like, you know, these are civilized people, they don't, you know, these are people like us, they don't deserve this. What are you saying about, you know, people that you don't consider civilized? Mm-hmm. Like, And what um, are you saying about us? Like yeah. who is us? Yeah. And I think this anchor, obviously our listeners can't see, but this anchor seems to be like a white mm-hmm. man. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. He's referring to us as other white people, which is very interesting because I think when you do a lot of research on the crisis going on in Ukraine, you see how hard it is for Mm -hmm. students who are studying in Ukraine, who are from other countries. Like I heard a lot about students from India and Mm -hmm. like Middle Middle Eastern countries as well, who have just had such Mm -hmm. a hard time fleeing Ukraine, fleeing this crisis and are seen you know, when they're trying to enter other countries as issues and it's just harder for them to. And, you know, you start to wonder based on his comments, like these are students who, you know, maybe they're not Ukrainian citizens, but have been in Ukraine for quite some time studying, getting a degree of some sort. And it's just so interesting how they're the ones mm-hmm. being stopped because, you know, they do not codifier in line with what one assumes a Ukrainian would look like. But also the fact that they they meet the qualifications that they're 
putting out of these Ukrainian refugees. Yeah. They're educated, they're middle class, mm -hmm. they're working hard to create a better life. Mm -hmm. And they fit all those perfectly. Yeah. But they're being disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I have one last clip. The following audio clip is from Ukraine's deputy chief prosecutor on the BBC. Me, I'm sorry. It's very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed, children being killed every day with Putin's missiles and his helicopters and his rockets. And so, of course, I, I understand and respect the emotion. What you are outlining there is this tension between longer-term efforts to apply pressure to Vladimir Putin, such as financial set sanctions, and the very immediate military threat which you're experiencing. He very clearly stated that the value of the Ukrainian people as refugees are that they are white and that they mm -hmm. fit like views of whiteness and they so that makes them more deserving. Mm -hmm. I have a class with Aiden, mm -hmm. our president of the podcast right now, and it's called Decolonization in Asia, mm -hmm. and it's an excellent class. Um, and one of our class periods, we were watching a documentary, and it was about the Vietnam War, and there was, I believe, like a US general or some sort of like chief of the United States Army, and he stated, he was like, Southeast Asian people do not have the same com compassion or empathy for their brothers, for their fellow, you know, um, countrymen. And even though he didn't say that in the exact same words, it was what he was essentially saying, and then that video was paralleled with the immense amounts of violence going on in Vietnam at the time. And I feel like that's incredibly parallel to this video clip that we just saw where he's essentially stating that white blonde haired blue-eyed people have a different compassion and empathy that's just so much more or so much more pronounced than refugees and migrants from other parts of the world who happen to not be white there's a different yeah. value for life and I think that's very interesting and an incredibly damaging narrative because you're you're completely right, Anusha. I think we, as a society, should not minimize the violence going on in Ukraine. We should continue to uplift it, but we should also recognize that mm -hmm. there are other crises going on right now in the world in relation to refugees and migrants that need just as much recognition, that need just as much, mm -hmm. you know, compassion and like, I guess just like a social movement surrounding it as has been going on, thankfully, with the, you know, Ukrainian crisis. And just because there should be no underlying assumption that just because those people aren't white, that they don't hurt, need help, need that they're just kind of used to this because that's obviously not a situation anyone should be in. And it doesn't matter if you're white or not white. Mm -hmm. I have a clip here. This one's a little different than the ones that we heard before. This is a report by the CBS uh, Saturday Morning News in which they um, kind of like uh, detail the stories of refugees in Ukraine who are facing discrimination at the border as they're trying to flee. This is, uh, this is racial discrimination and I'll play it right here. Day one of the war, reports of discrimination at the Ukraine border began to surface. Mostly, they would they would consider white people first, white people first, Indian people, Arabic people, 
before black people. We, we went to the to the train station and they will they will not let us in. And we, when they did let us in, they, they were like, you have to give us money because this is this is not this is not for free for you because you're foreign. This is not free for you. Okay, so what are y'all's thoughts on that? You know, that's extremely heartbreaking to hear. I've, as I mentioned like earlier, I've heard of similar scenarios of that happening in relation to the Ukrainian crisis. And I, part of me, I'm pretty divided on how to feel about it. Mm -hmm. So part of me wants to say, this is an extremely negative situation, but are these minorities within Ukraine's experiences amplified by the fact that Eastern Europe is so homogenous of a region that are these, and these experiences are horrible and horrifying, but is it amplified because they are such a small minority group there? But I feel like that's unfortunately mm -hmm. not the case, even though that's still an extremely negative situation to be in. I feel like it's more the case that we're thinking of. Um, these mm -hmm. people who are obviously not white are kind of left stranded because mm -hmm. they don't seem fit to help by countries surrounding Ukraine um, right now, which is incredibly horrifying to hear. I agree, but I don't think it has to be one or the other. Like, I think it, it, it is be both, both. <laughs> that they are being put in such a bad place and being treated so horribly. And that is only made worse by the their like extreme, their, yeah. extreme minorities within like a very homogenous region. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, that's just an amplifying factor to the already bad situation that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely concerning because like you know in this episode we're discussing you know uh, racism against refugees and not only did we previously just view how racism against refugees is happening with entire crises but we're seeing how they're happening within crises themselves you know uh, even the ukrainian crisis which has been at the forefront of news there's still discrimination so that was all of my examples for institutionalized racism and then i had one example of interpersonal racism um we won't be discussing internalized racism today because that's that's obviously something that should be said through the voice of a refugee the viewers can't see this but i'm currently showing isha and emily a survey and essentially it's a survey um, distributed by Pew Research in the spring 2016. And it's a survey detailing or just asking Europeans if they see diversity as making their countries better. And the results of the survey were that very few Europeans say growing diversity makes their country a better place to live. In Greece, 63% say that growing diversity makes it a worse place to live, and then 10% a better place to live. And this survey is one of many surveys just about the refugee crisis. I chose this specific survey because it talks specifically about race. Obviously, like, you know, people around the world, they have beliefs about refugees that might be tied to other issues, but this one is specifically connected to race. So what is everyone's ideas or thoughts on this? So I don't want to 
generalize mm -hmm. European people as a whole, but I'm going to start off kind of anecdote rant mm -hmm. that my French teacher in high school who was born in France told me that really, really stuck with me. And of course, this is most likely a generalization, but I think it could definitely be applied to this. She stated the fact, you know, she's grown up in France her whole life and she's like, you know, French people hate being mistaken as even other European people. So like if you go up to a person from France and say, oh, like, are you from Italy? They would, you know, be like, oh no, like I'm from France. Like I'm from, you know, like this region of France. It's like not offense, you know, they wouldn't get like flabbergasted, like get out of my house or something, but it would be something that takes them aback. And I think that's very different in between like Europe and America, because I feel like if I like went up to you, Emily, and I was like, oh, Emily, like, are you French? Like, are you from France? Like, you'd be like, oh, like, no, you know, I'm not. That would be something that you were even immediately taken aback by. Maybe this is just like within my friend group, but it's, you know, being mistaken for another group, ethnic group, cultural group is not something that immediately I think takes a lot of people in our age group, at least, within our society back, as my French teacher described, it did. And then, you know, when I got to college, I'm like a history minor, and I've taken like a lot of history classes centering around European history. I just started thinking about how much of our education as a whole is so catered around, I'll throw up like Western society, upholding Western society, what it means to be a Western, in this case, European nation. Like a lot of classic literature written by European people. A lot of like, I don't know, I took AP Euro in high school. Like there's an entire class centering around um, European civilization. And I think that obviously shows how much of an emphasis classical, traditional, very white European civilization has on the world as a whole. And I think for many, based on this poll, it seems that refugees and migrants stand as an imminent threat to their mm -hmm. culture, society, their Europeanness, mm -hmm. um, just from their inclusion into you know a place like Greece, which should not be the case at all. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like there is some sort of threat to the apparent threat should not be the case to like the ethnic Greek identity based on the fact that, you know, now a refugee from Syria and their family are coming, you know, into Greece, mm -hmm. um, which should obviously not be the case. And it's very unfortunate to see that that is the case. But I wonder if in order to ease that stress that many, you know, I'm using Greece as an example, because that's what you did, but many ethnically Greek people may feel is by, you know, emphasizing how much these refugees could not only add to Greek culture, but also how much they could appreciate it as, you know, as a whole, um, mm -hmm. you know, how blessed or happy they may feel to just be here um, in the first place, which I think is, I think refugees and migrants are often seen as leeches and not people who are very appreciative and very happy to be where they are. They're not, they're often, you know, never characterized in that light. And I wonder if we as a society start characterizing them as, you know, and 
appreciative people only through passing the mic, giving them a time to like t share their story. Will these people start realizing like, hey, they do want to appreciate traditional culture and maybe they can bring some of their culture that will add to ours, you know, even more so. Sorry, that was like a very No, that was, long that was really good. Yeah, that was a great answer. <laughs> So that's, um, yeah, that's essentially what the survey was about. That was a really good introspect into this. Yeah. So when I first saw the survey, I was kind of taken aback because, yeah, I mean, living in America, I mean, obviously, you know, we do struggle a lot, but I've never seen diversity as a threat. I don't, I've never really been around people who have seen diversity as a threat. And again, this is probably um, because I'm a minority woman and the certain like, you know, environment I'm in um, doesn't really face that. But the, you know, the fact that, you know, Europeans may not want refugees um, simply because they don't look, they don't look like the refugees that are coming in is concerning. Uh, and it's, I like, you know, it's, I can't imagine how, how you can exactly unravel that because it seems like it's like a cultural be belief that's very embedded within society it's not something that you can necessarily fix with a policy and you know what's that to say like you know it, if refugees can't change their race they can't change how they yeah. look they they certainly can't change how other people view them how but they 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 need refuge regardless of where they come from regardless of what they look like and how can one you know, unravel this belief to make them be able to have a safe place to be be home. Yeah. Um, on that, I feel like a lot of what you're saying is that like we need societal shifts in our understanding, um, both of race and of refugees. And as you were saying that, I was looking at the uh, uh, chart, I guess, and Greece and Italy are the two places with the highest like numbers mm -hmm. or percentages of people saying that diversity makes their country a worse place to live and I thought that was really interesting because so much of European history and whiteness is rooted in ancient Greek and ancient Italian culture and how there's the Renaissance and neoclassicism yeah. Yeah. going back and pulling on their ancient cultures yeah. Um, and so how they're very tied to whiteness, to Europeanness, to Western society and ideals of Westernness. And so I think it's very interesting that they're at the top of the list because they're so involved historically. Yeah, I just thought that was yeah. like a really interesting no, that was That was really good. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I didn't even, like, yeah, I didn't realize that. But yeah, you know, that makes sense. It is deeply rooted. Like, you know, in the history that we're taught... Yeah, like it's it's not something that's gonna um, unravel easily, and but I guess you know as our as podcast members uh, we can do what we can um, to spread uh, to spread awareness about racism and refugeeism, and that's what I really attempted to do with this episode because I feel like you know I'm not not just like you know like um, this podcast, but I feel like you know a lot of refugee resources, refugee advocates, racism and refugeeism is definitely something that needs to be talked about more. Hopefully this is just, um, you know, like a little, like a little, little like molecule um, on the top of that uh, iceberg. And we'll continue to do things like this. We're obviously like, you know, gonna shine more of a light. It, you know, 
racism and refugeeism has been a thing uh, for decades, uh, you know, but it really came to light with this Ukrainian crisis because, you know, obviously um, I like, you know, through Twitter, we were able to see so many video clips of reporters quite directly being racist in their comments against Ukrainian refugees and other refugees from the Middle East. So, you know, hopefully we'll by um, bringing light to that, um, bringing light to their words, uh, as well as the truth behind them, you know, we brought awareness uh, to this really important topic. Yeah. Okay, so thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Seeking Refuge. We'll see you soon. Here are a few words from Emily and Isha on topics unrelated to any specific question I asked in the episode. Like, this is just a thought that I'm having. I also wonder if... Ukraine, based off of this Twitter thread, is now suddenly more European because a lot of Western Europe and obviously America has a lot of qualms with Russia as a whole. And so now we would like to categorize Ukraine as this extremely white, extremely like homogenous region filled with like middle class people because of the fact that it is Russia that's antagonizing it. Yeah. And I wonder, like, what if Poland was antagonizing Ukraine or Germany was, you know, like, would it be the same effect? No, I think that's, like, a really good point because, like, race is very much a social construct that's defined by space and time mm-hmm. and whatever benefits the, I guess, like, the white nation, yeah. essentially. Um, so I think that is a very good question. Mm-hmm. You should. Talk about what this Twitter thread is about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a Twitter thread um, by Kimberly St. Julian Barnon. Um, and she, she is a historian. And um, she is basically describing how... How Ukraine has not always been characterized yes. as like a white... Yeah. Um, yeah, how Ukraine has not always been characterized as a white nation and that they are often at the bottom of the European racial hierarchy and often in past situations they have not been seen as European enough, um, which is falls on what Isha said of like if it was another country, would they be seen as European enough in this situation? Mm-hmm. That's really, yeah, thank you so much for that. That was really, um, that's really good. Well, it's a sad Twitter thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Isha, Anusha, and Emily talking to us about how institutional and interpersonal racism affects refugees. If you liked this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. It helps listeners like you find our show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or at our University of South Carolina email address, sosrpa at mailbox.sc.edu. You can find us on social media at Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. The show is produced by undergraduate students at the University of South Carolina. Your hosts for this week were Nusha Ghosh, Isha Hegde, and Emily Jensen. This episode was edited by Anusha Ghosh and Aiden Thomason. Our executive producer is Aiden Thomason. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.